Thank you, Morgan and Dan and choir and instrumentalists for beautiful worship today. If you have a Bible with you, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. If not, there's a Bible right there in front of you, page 191 and 192 for a sermon entitled Phases. First of all, I tried to ignore it. It was my way of handling taking a third and final kid to college. Even when it was just a week away, it didn't exist for me. I kept telling myself, it is no big deal. In reality, however, having already made the difficult journey two times before, in my heart of hearts, I knew it was a life-changing event. Until you've done it, no one can really prepare you for it. On the day of the drop-off, you linger around, you try to avoid the inevitable. Knowing that the farewell is forthcoming, you feel like you're about to face the firing squad, a final, long, lingering embrace, and without looking back, you hang your head and you head to the car, head home, heartbroken. The whole way home, you ask yourselves a load of questions like, is she ready? Have I done all I can do? Did I teach her enough? Is this boat going to float, you ask? That is what I would compare it to the most. The sailing of a ship, that first floating of a boat is known as the maiden voyage. The first time a ship departs for a journey. Though boat builders have poured themselves in the crafting of the boat, but the real question is, once in the water, will it float? The way home from taking our youngest daughter to college, I texted someone who had been instrumental in shaping and forming her, and I wrote, when you at last place the boat in the water to make its first journey, you become thankful to all the builder's of the boat. If they have given their all, if they have done their best, most likely the boat will float. Thanks for all the time building and shaping Chan. On days like this one, your appreciation of those who have loved and invested in your child is beyond measure. Grateful. Parenting is never a solo event. It's always a a team effort, isn't it? I know in the political arena, the debate is whether it takes a village to raise a child. That's not my arena. What I can tell you accurately is it takes a church to raise a child of God. One father in our congregation wrote me, reflecting on his own experience of the empty nest, his name is Jay Barrett, but he would want me to clarify no relation to Robbie Barrett whatsoever. (laughs) He writes, there are still those moments when I sit on the sofa and envision through the lens of time when all three boys were younger and still at home. There in the playroom, I see Jaron, my middle child, and his ninth birthday party sleepover with about 10 friends, all the boys shirtless and smelling fragrant as sweaty boys will, taking turns, jumping off the pool table and shouting Geronimo to the top of their lungs. 
I see my oldest Parker, a Longhorn fan, running through the house and screaming maniacally. In 2005, after UT won the National Football Championship, almost delirious with excitement. Then I see my youngest and quietest Trey climbing onto the hammock with me in the backyard and snuggling against me and letting me rock him to sleep. I truly miss those days. And sometimes I wished I could go back and relive those moments so as to enjoy them more completely. Those three empty bedrooms are tangible reminders that the boys no longer dwell in our house. I used to stand outside each door at night long after the boys had gone to sleep and spend some moments in prayer, thanking God for the blessing of being a father and asking him to bless each son, to keep each safe, and to allow each boy to use his gifts for the kingdom. Thoughts of a father with three boys. And speaking from the heart today, I want you to know that First Baptist Church is completely committed to parting with you to get your family ready for that day that I experienced Friday a week ago. Well, you might say, Pastor, I don't have children, so this sermon is not for me. All the children at First Baptist Church are your children. You are a boat builder for all of these children, helping us get them ready for the journey. Out in our hallway today on our second and third floor, we're going to gift you with some guidelines for the phases of your child's life. First, there's a family road map with your child's journey, and then... According to your child's age, if you have a brand new baby, we've got the brand new baby pamphlet, and you open it up and it tells you you've got 936 weeks until you'll make that journey that I made Friday a week ago. <laughs> it tells you what to look for in the life of a new baby, the things they may be going through developmentally, like four to six months, reaches for objects and, and rolls over. And well, it, it says it's just a phase being a baby, so don't miss it. We skip up to kindergarten, and if you have a, a child in kindergarten this year, we're going to give you, gift you with a kindergarten guide. And by the time they're in kindergarten, 676 weeks until you face that trip to work or university. By the time your child's in the fourth grade, we have a pamphlet for that too, and it, it says... Think like a scientist. You help them learn when you give them a challenge in the fourth grade. And by the time we get to fourth grade, we now only have 468 Sundays left to get your child ready for that trip. This is the one that's shocking to me. Ninth grade, when your child enters high school, we've only got 208 Sunday morning sermons for your child to hear, and then they're making that journey. Then we're putting that boat in the water in 208 weeks, and by the time your child's in the 12th grade, you know the number, 52 Sundays left. Whatever stage your child is today, we're going to gift you with a guide to help you along that journey. It tells you what to look for physically and mentally and emotionally and, and verbally. Well, the Sundays pass quickly, don't they? The days pass so quickly. The First Baptist Church is with you on that journey. 
And I will say this clearly without hesitation. There is no way that my family could have faced last Friday without this church family. There is no way that my family could have faced last Friday with any hope of success of the boat floating if it had not been for this place and this people called First Baptist Church. You had poured yourself into that child for the full 936 weeks. You poured yourself into all of our children our staff has poured themselves into my children and your children. Our Sunday school teachers, our volunteers have poured themselves into our children. We have raised that girl together as a church family. I would never limit my child to only my perspective. I would never want to limit my child to only my perspective. And all the Sunday school classes and the camps and the mission trips and the choirs and the sports leagues we have here, the girls' Bible studies, you add it all up. They have combined to make First Baptist Church the most powerful influencer in the life of my children outside of our girls' father and mother. Outside of father and mother, you have had combined the greatest influence on all three of our girls. You have been surrogate aunts and uncles and grandparents, and you have helped us build the boats. I can't imagine for a moment how anyone could be so arrogant as to say, I don't need church. I don't need community. I don't need a family of faith. I myself am fully equipped to raise my own son or daughter I have two graduate degrees in religious fields, and I would never trust just myself to raise my children. I needed a community. My children needed your love and your journey of faith and your perspective. I needed you to walk side by side with me in that task. And my children have been irrevocably shaped by who you are and the investments you have made in their lives. Imagine your child is going on a one-of-a-kind trip. Your, your daughter is going to cross the desert, and it's dry and hot and miles of sand. Can you imagine sending her out on such a dangerous journey and, well, just giving, not giving her an adequate water supply? Just giving her a hug and a kiss on the, the cheek, no canteen of water, and saying, good luck? Could you imagine sending your son or daughter onto a, a tropical rainforest without a, a compass? And the, the trees are so tall, you can't see the rising or the setting of the sun. And your child can't tell east from west. You can't even see the sun. Can you imagine sending her or him out in a jungle like that without a compass or a guide and saying, good luck, hope you find it. If my daughter's going into the desert, if she's going to have a canteen of water, if my child is going out into the jungle on a journey, she will have a compass and a guide to lead her in the right direction. 
I know those are silly scenarios because you would never imagine sending your child on such a risky journey without making sure that she had absolutely everything, not only to survive, but actually to, to thrive in life. Fast forward from the crib 18 years later, and your child is heading off to college or the work world, leaving home, making his own way, making her own way in life. Can you imagine sending your child out on that journey without any compass or guideline, without having what she needs or he needs to excel in life? This time it's not a make-believe desert or a trumped-up tropical rainforest. Your child must have a compass, a belief system, a value system that, will, that is time-tested in truth to lead your child back to God. Can you imagine having this kind of conversation with your child? Honey, I might say to my daughter, there's a big, mean world out there, and there's really no right way or wrong way to do life. You just find your own way. You create your own truth amongst the competing truths and do the best you can. I would not for a moment send one of my girls out into the world that way. And I hope you have the wisdom not to send your child out into the world that way either. All of us must have a moral compass, and we cannot create our own compass. You listen carefully here, philosophically. There must be a compass for each of us that transcends who we are individually. Only because someone else has made the compass can we trust it. Because if I build my own moral guide, if I build my own compass, then who's to say that I didn't fashion it to my favor to fit the way that I want to live my own life. No, I need a compass older than that and wiser than I am. I need a compass built by the people of God, by God himself. We're not the first ones to think that our, our children need a moral guide or a compass. All the way back in Deuteronomy chapter 6, it's called the Shema. Look at Deuteronomy 6.1. Now this is the commandment, the statutes, the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you that you might do them in the land where you're going over to possess it so that you and your son and your grandson, I want you to know this, it's multi-generational. You and your son and your grandson, they're passing the faith down. Might fear the Lord your God and keep all of his statutes, there's your compass, and all of his commandments which I command you all the days of your life that your days may be prolonged. Then verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your sons, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. Hear, O Israel. That's the... the, the Shema gets his name from the, the Hebrew word for listen. He's saying something like this, listen up. If you haven't heard anything else I have said to you, this is it. Hear, O Israel, listen up, O people of God. You might say that this passage in Deuteronomy is the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. Every Jew, backslider or not, would know this passage. Like all of us, most of us could quote John 3.16. 
Hear, O Israel. It was a call to remember that their God was one. It was a moral compass. It was a guide for the Jew and his son and his grandson to say, this is what sets us apart as God's people. There is only one God, one creating God, one redeeming God, one sustaining God. And we are to love that God with our whole heart, with our whole soul. Love that God with all your might. Verse 7, verse 6, he says, keep them in your heart. Verse 7, he says, teach them to your sons. Talk about them when you're in the house. Talk about them when you're walking, when you're lying down. Talk about them when you're getting up. In other words, teach your sons and your grandsons all times, always. It doesn't matter when or where. What Moses is saying in Deuteronomy is that the Israelites must pass down from generation to generation the stories of faith. And that central story of faith for them is that they were slaves in Egypt. They knew Pharaoh's whip, and they cried out to God, and God listened, and God sent them a redeemer, a deliverer, and the person of Moses, and God did miracles that they might be able to escape. Tell the story about Egypt to your sons and grandsons. Well, we have our own story of deliverance too, don't we? We too were enslaved to sin and death, and we cried out to God to send us a deliverer, a redeemer, a new Moses, and he sent us his only begotten son of whom Moses could only be a shadow. Jesus Christ, and through his death and resurrection, we are set free from the bondage of sin and death. Hear, O Israel. We live in an odd culture today. You can actually hear someone with a lot of education say something like this, don't over-influence your children. Let him find his own way. I understand that ultimately each of my children is a free moral agent and each child will make her own decisions about her life. But I also realize that I have an absolute God-given responsibility to do my best to teach each child, to give her a moral compass. And like ancient Israel passing down the stories of faith from generation to generation, I need to tell my girls the stories of the gospel. We must teach our children how to treat God, to love Him with all their heart, with all their mind, with all their soul, that in knowing how to treat God, they know how to treat their neighbor. When they asked Jesus what the greatest commandment was, He went to the John 3, 16 of the Old Testament, didn't He? Love God with everything you have. And He said, and there's another one, treat your neighbor just like you want to be treated. You cannot come to that moral compass on your own. It transcends you. Our nature is not to treat our neighbor the way we want to be treated, but to treat our neighbor by one set of rules and ourselves by another. I stand absolutely shocked that anyone would allow his or her child to fall behind in matters of faith. Our child plays a sport, we want them to make a team, and then a club team, then a private coach, and we do everything we can that she will be her very best. 
When it comes to algebra, if our child is not getting it, then we're going to find an older sibling, a retired teacher. We're going to find a tutor. We're going to do everything we can to help him solve the equation. When it comes to all the other arenas of life, we make sure that our child has every opportunity and every advantage in reading and writing and athletics, and yet we will allow that same child to fall behind in matters of faith. How good would your child be at algebra if they skipped every other algebra class? I can tell you, they wouldn't be very good at all. How good would your child be at a sport if you told the coach, you know, we won't be here just all the time. It'll be hit and miss, but we'll take the playbook with us and we'll study it in the car on the way. How's the coach going to go for that? You can't bring your child to church hit and miss either and expect the same results. You can't miss all the missions and ministry activities and expect your child to excel in the spiritual development alongside their peers who are always here in the place of the community of faith. I talk to more children about their faith than anybody in this room. Hardly a week goes by, sometimes a day doesn't go by, that I'm not talking to a child about baptism. And I can tell you in the first five minutes that that child has been a regular attender at church. Just like your dentist can tell if you're brushing and flossing your teeth in the first five minutes of a dental visit, or that piano teacher that you dreaded could tell if you had practiced the piano from the last time that you had your lesson, there is no way to fool these systems. It takes me about five minutes, and I could, I could tell you whether or not your child has been at church listening to the stories of faith. A moral compass is not something you can wrap up with all the other graduation gifts at the last minute and say, here it is like a laundry basket. A moral compass is something that is developed over a lifetime for those 936 weeks. And whatever stage your child is, we have that many weeks left to form this compass that when the boat is in the water, we will find out if it will float. When he is making his own moral decisions about right and wrong about whether or not to gather with God's people in worship or sleep in. It's at that moment we will know if your child's faith is really hers or only yours. This week I did two funerals. One of them was for Wilma Smith. I asked, what was your mom's passion? And her daughter Callie, who's a member at First Baptist Church, said, my mother rarely ever talked about church. I thought, well, uh-oh. And she said, she didn't have to. We were here every week. She said, we had to be either a bright color green or on a deathbed forever we could miss. What, what Callie was saying was this. We understood not by her words but by her life the priority of this day and this people and this word and this faith. My parents took me to church every Sunday, usually morning, night, and Wednesday night for all the missions and music activities. The question would never have entered my mind as a child. On a Sunday morning, I never asked my parents, are we going to church? I would not have been able to formulate that question in my mind because I never woke up on Monday morning and said to my daddy, am I going to school today? You see, 
I knew that it was Monday and I needed my math book and I was going to Wade Hampton Elementary. And just like that on Sunday, I knew I needed my Bible and I was going to the Leewood Baptist Church. My family had such faithful attendance, I could not have even formulated that question. If your child's asking you on Sundays, are we going to church today? We're already one step behind in the process of building the moral compass. Maybe you're here this morning and your parents didn't give you that. You can be the first generation. It had to start somewhere. Somebody has to be that grandfather of the past. Maybe your parents didn't give you what my parents gave me, but you can give that to your children and your grandchildren. Look at verse 620. When your son asks you in time to come, saying, Why do the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments mean which the Lord her God commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us from Egypt with a mighty hand. As part of our phases ministry here at First Baptist Church, we give your child a Bible along the way. And recently, Rebecca Manchie received her preteen Bible on Sunday, August the 12th of this year, 2018. And on Facebook, her mother Amy showed those Bibles that Rebecca received on a long journey of faith. And this was posted on Facebook. Our youngest baby girl was gifted her third Bible from FBC Amarillo this morning. Her verse was a tiny pink New Testament of Psalms presented to her in a diaper on the day of her birth by Ms. Elaine Clark, loaded with many preschool opportunities for her. The second was a complete children's Bible presented to her by Pastor Howie at the beginning of her first grade. Today, our children's minister, led by Mr. Cliff and Ms. Sarah, gifted our sixth graders with a new Bible to guide them through their teen years as today marks their transition into seventh grade in our church's student ministry. In just six more years, she will be gifted with her fourth Bible from FBC as she graduates from high school to take her into her years beyond high school graduation. We love our FBC family and how they help grow our kids in their walk with the Lord. When we returned home from church today, we looked at each Bible. It was a perfect time to remind Rebecca how her church has loved her so very well. From even the time before she was born, I am so thankful for the gift of God's love, the gift of God's word, the gift of these people who love us so well. In the early days of the Tennessee Valley Authority, a dilapidated old log homestead had to be abandoned in order to make room for the construction of a new lake behind a new dam. A new home had been built on the hillside for this family, much nicer than their broken Appalachian cabin. But they refused to move from their log cabin, which would be 30 feet underwater, and move up to the hillside, from the hollow to the hillside. They just wouldn't do it. The day for the flooding of the valley finally arrived, and the family still refused to move. The bulldozers were brought in, and the Appalachian family got out the shotguns. No amount of legal brandishings or 
bulldozer, bulldozer menacings would budge this family out of their little cabin. Someone from the TVA came up with a, a last-ditch effort. They got a social worker to go in and talk to them and find out what the stalemate was about. And she sat down, and the head of the family, the father, said, we ain't going nowhere, and nobody can make us. No matter how many threats you make or how run down our cabin may look to you. The social worker said, okay, okay, I, I get we're in a stalemate, but would you help me? Tell them why you won't move to the beautiful new house up in the hill they've built for you. Why, why won't you move? Just help me explain to them. You see that fire over there? The father said, pointing to a crude hearth. My grandpa built that fire over a hundred years ago. And my grandpa never let it go out. Then my dad took on that responsibility. He kept that fire going in that hearth until the day he died. We had no matches. It was a long way through these mountains to the nearest neighbor. When my father died, the responsibility became mine. And I ain't going to let the fire go out either. I ain't going to let grandpa's fire go underwater. Social worker came up with an idea. She asked for an apple butter churn to be brought in. They brought it in. She explained to the family, we can take some of a grandpa's coals and put them in the apple churn. We can carry them up the hill. We'll put kindling in that new fireplace we built for you. We'll put those coals in there. We'll start grandpa's fire in a new place. Would that be okay? Appalachian family all huddled up together. And they said, well, we can take Papa's fire with us. That might be okay. But they would not budge until they could take with them the fire of their ancestors. Moses is saying, don't let the fire go out. From generations way past the days of slavery in Egypt, you tell them. You tell your sons when they're lying down. You tell your sons when they're getting up. You tell your sons when they're walking around. You tell them that we cried out and God sent a deliverer. God sent Moses. And they need to love that God with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their might. we need to tell our children we were in slavery to sin and death and we cried out to God and God put on skin and became one of us and died for us and with us and rose again for us and with us that we could live forever Which pamphlet's yours out there today? How many Sundays of compass building do we have left before you face what Dan and I faced 
Friday a week ago. There is not a week to spare. Whatever number of Sundays are on the back of your child's pamphlet, I'll be here for them. Our staff will be here for them. I hope you'll be here for your kids too. Hear, O Israel. Let us pray. Oh God, there is no greater responsibility than parenting. Even as we dedicate a little one here in just a few moments, Magnolia Grace, I couldn't think about her Sundays and joining her parents and building that compass for her. Father, this sermon is not to give anyone guilt. We've all failed as parents, and we all need to do better. But we need to hear that Moses says to Israel, this is the important word. Listen up. May there's someone here this morning who would like to partner with First Baptist Church to raise his or her children here with this wonderful church family that I can testify firsthand builds compasses like no other. Maybe there's someone who would say, I didn't have that fire passed down from my ancestors. I'm going to start a fire today by crying out, receiving a Redeemer and Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. In his name we pray. Amen.